everyone. This is Dr. Paul Kilgore for the Quantitative Health Podcast, and welcome back. So glad you're here with me, and we are really diving in this month into the topic of stress. So in February, we really want to talk about stress and look forward to opportunities this year to help lowering and reducing our stress. And today we're going to touch base a little bit on why this is so important. But before I do that, I wanted to make sure that you know where to find the podcast always and where you can find more information about quantitative health from me, Dr. Paul Kilgore. And first, let me tell you that our website is quantitative-health.com. That's quantitative, Q-U-A-N-T-I-T-A-T-I-V-E hyphen health.com. My email you can reach me at is quant at quantitative hyphen health.com. That's Q-U-A-N-T at quantitative hyphen health.com. And then always you can call me on my phone. It's a toll-free number 1-888-406-0008. And that's always open. You can call me anytime or email if you'd like to talk with me. You can also go to the website, quantitative-health.com, and drop in there, give me your name, your email, and let me know a message and some of the problems that you're working on. We can talk about how we can work together on those. And as always, you can email me anytime. All right. So this week, as we're following up with our topics on stress, before uh, in previous weeks, we talked about what stress is, how it manifests in our bodies, and a little bit about what we can do about it. Now this week, what we want to do is dive in a little bit deeper and try to understand how can we measure stress in our own lives and actually in our own bodies. And one of the things, one of the central ideas that I wanted to make sure you know about today is the interaction between stress and inflammation in our bodies. And this is really central to everything that we want to work on in terms of reducing our stress because of the impact that stress and inflammation have on virtually any disease that we can experience. Let me mention at the outset that there are many ways to measure stress. There are ways that we can actually look at individuals and observe them. We can actually measure blood levels of different stress hormones. We can also measure at the biochemical level very, very tiny molecules that are indicators of stress. And we're going to get into some of these today. There's so much information in this topic that I really want to try to narrow it down for you a little bit. And going forward throughout the year and future years, we're going to dive in step by step into ways that you can actually measure this going forward, both in the short term and long term. But there's a couple big ideas that I wanted to mention to you at the beginning because we don't always think about this when we talk about stress. And for me, I think the eye-opening thing about stress and inflammation is that it is an interaction. It's a crosstalk in our bodies between different organ systems. And one of the things that I think is very, very important to know is that when we talk about stress, we talk about the effect of stress on our bodies, but more specifically on different organ systems. The important thing to know, I think, about stress is that it can really directly affect us, not only in the short term, but over the entire course of our lives. And the effect is cumulative. In other words, it adds up over time 
And that's a very important concept to know because what that means is that if we can lower levels of stress, if we can find ways in our lives to lower the level of stress, we can actually in the long term potentially prevent diseases or reduce the impact and severity of diseases that we may experience over time. And I'm going to give you a couple examples of that. One of the most incredible examples, I think, of stress in our lives is the impact that it has on our mental health. And I think many people know that when you are stressed and when there's inflammation going on in your body, we know that this can have a direct influence on depression, major depression episodes. So one of the reasons why reducing stress is so important is that we can actually improve our mental status, we can actually improve our mental health, reduce stress reduces depression, okay? Also, I want to make sure you know that the interaction between stress and inflammation can have a direct impact on different organs in our body. And one of the things that's been noted in the past several years through research is that when we have high levels of stress over time, this can actually lead to shrinkage, making organs smaller. And a good example of that is the interaction of stress and inflammation on our brains. And we don't normally think of stress affecting the size of our brain, but actually what happens during stress response over time, and in the short term too, is that we can experience an impact on the neurons in our brain. And the brain, of course, is very complex, has many different types of cells, but one of the big impacts that we can actually see in gross anatomy studies and animal studies is that it actually can shrink parts of the brain that we clearly don't want to have shrunk. And one of the parts of the brain that's very important to us in terms of memory is the hippocampus. One example of the impact of stress and inflammation on our brains is the shrinkage of the hippocampus. That's a part of our brain where we actually consolidate memories, we make new memories, we store them. It's a very central part of our brains. It's so important over time as we age, too. The other thing I think you need to know is that when we have stress and when it's chronic over time, it can shrink the size of other important organs. One of the organs that you may not normally think of as being part of the whole stress story is the thymus gland. Thymus gland sits in your chest, it's in your upper chest, between your lungs, and it's behind your breastbone, in the upper breastbone. Thymus gland is very, very central to our immune system. And one of the things that the thymus gland does so well is it actually helps form T-cells that can respond to infections in our bodies that relate to controlling diseases. So, for example, the thymus gland is very important in autoimmune diseases. One of the things that happens with stress when we look at the thymus gland is it actually shrinks over time. We also get natural shrinkage of the thymus gland as we age, but if we can actually implement activities in our lives that reduce stress, we actually may be able to stave off or slow down that natural shrinkage of the thymus gland that happens over time. So the thymus gland is so important in our immune system because it talks with other organs in our body. For example, lymph nodes or lymph glands. It talks to the spleen. And so that crosstalk, that communication between the thymus gland and the spleen is very, very important. When we talk about stress also, we also know that it can impact the adrenal glands over time. So what we see in different studies is the impact of stress on the adrenal glands 
and that impact is really to make them smaller, shrinking them, and leading to less functional, not only thymus glands, but adrenal glands. Very important concept when we think about stress and inflammation. Now, one of the other things I wanted you to know is that when we talk about stress, we also talk about the changes in cortisol levels over time. And one of the things that we know is that we can measure cortisol in our blood, but I mentioned also in previous podcasts that we can actually measure cortisol in hair. Hair samples can be collected to measure cortisol. We can also measure cortisol in the salivary fluid. That's the fluid in our mouths that we can actually collect, and we can measure cortisol. Now, one of the things to know is that when we measure cortisol in our salivary glands or salivary fluid, and we collect that, it's a pretty much a snapshot in time to show us what our cortisol levels are. So cortisol naturally varies from time to time during the day. So it tends to be higher in the morning and can decrease over time throughout the day. And we can actually measure these changes. So if we're going to measure cortisol, one of the important things to know is that we should try to collect it and measure it at the same time each day. That's very important. One of the other things I wanted to mention is that when we talk about the interaction between stress and inflammation, there are inflammatory markers, or we call these biomarkers, that we can actually measure over time that tell us what's happening with stress in our bodies. For example, one of the things that we can measure when we are under stress or when we're exposed to stress is acute phase reactants. Acute phase reactants are chemicals or proteins and compounds that we can actually measure levels of in our blood. A good example of an acute phase reactant is something called C-reactive protein. We abbreviate that CRP. We often measure CRP in different patients and individuals who may be experiencing certain diseases. For example, we can actually measure CRP in individuals that have diabetes. We can measure CRP in individuals that may have an acute infection. We can actually detect if people have elevated levels of CRP, and that is an indicator that those individuals have the presence of ongoing inflammation. There are other inflammatory markers that we can actually measure that are indicators of stress as well. So some of these markers include something called ESR, or erythrocyte sedimentation rate, we can measure another biomarker called procalcitonin. And procalcitonin is a biomarker that's often looked at in the presence of other infections. And if you have pneumonia, sometimes we see an elevation of procalcitonin as that process, that pneumonia process is going on. There are other markers in our blood that we can measure that can be elevated during infection and other disease processes as well. So one of them is interleukin-1. The interleukins are a set or family of biomarkers or chemicals that we can measure that are indicators of inflammation in many people. There's another one that's often measured and has been studied a lot over the past several decades, and that's called tumor necrosis factor, or TNF. TNF can be measured and it can be actually elevated in response to a stress like an infection. One of the things that we know is that we can actually measure these inflammatory markers and they may be elevated even when we don't think that we're under stress. One of the diseases that we know that's so important in our society nowadays is depression, major depression. And actually, people who have inflammatory disorders can experience higher 
prevalence or higher incidence of major depression. It's also very important because when we look at chronic diseases, and when I say chronic diseases, I'm talking about things like depression, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and cancer. We can actually measure these pro-inflammatory cytokines. Those are the things like the IL-1, interleukin-6, interleukin-1, tumor necrosis factor can be actually elevated in these disease processes, and we can actually measure them over time. One of the other things that we can do when we measure stress in our bodies is actually look at white blood cells. And one of the things that we know is that when we undergo trauma or when we're under psychological stress, that can actually lead to an elevation of a white blood cell called the monocyte. And when monocytes are increased, that can actually be an indirect indicator that we are under stress. And many people don't realize this, but one of the things that we can actually look at over time as we experience different diseases is different white blood cell levels. And that's an important one because that's an easy measure to look at because we can just collect a small sample of blood and look at that in those blood samples over time. We also know that we can measure other cytokines and that can be important when we talk about therapy as well. So if an individual is undergoing treatment for depression, for example, or treatment for cardiovascular disease or diabetes, we can actually measure these indirect indicators of inflammation. And so we can actually detect improvements in treatment and also resolution of that inflammation and reduce stress by looking at levels of these biomarkers in our blood. One of the things that some individuals may not realize is that sometimes we can actually find changes in these blood markers with treatment for depression, including treatment that is really the classification of drugs, including serotonin, norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors, and even tricyclic antidepressants. It's very, very interesting, too, to note that when we talk about stress, we talk about the impact on our brains. And one of the things that we've discovered over time is that as we age and as we have cumulative stress, it actually can lead to shrinkage of our brain. Our brain is not working as well as it should or could. And that's in part because the neurons actually change. So know that when we are under stress, we actually can measure changes in the connections in our brain. And we can do that under uh, different scanning techniques and in particular, when we look at animal studies and we look at the different changes in our brain, one of the things that we know now is that in your brain, about 10% of neurons are actually immune cells. They're called microglia. This cell in the brain actually can respond to stress. And what we know is that when we're under repeated stress and episodes of stress over the course of our lives, it can change the way that these cells in our brain react. And it can also change the way that they release chemicals. So under stress, these cells in our brain actually respond to other hormones such as the cortisol or glucocorticoids that are circulating. And that can actually change the way that our brain is structured. So one way that we can actually improve our brain activity our brain functioning is to find ways to reduce stress. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. I think it's also important to know that when we look at stress, we know that we can actually see 
changes in our brain function that are associated with dementia. So long-term stress is felt to be a potential risk factor for dementia, so different forms of dementia like Alzheimer's disease. So a good reason to reduce stress is that we could potentially either prevent or delay the onset of dementia, including things like Alzheimer's. Very, very important to know. I also want to make sure that you know that when we're under stress, and stress can come in the form of psychological stress, emotional stress, physical stress, and or a combination of those. And one of the things that we know, for example, is that when we have measures of stress in our bodies, and when we look at diseases that are caused by stress, like PTSD is a good example, that's post-traumatic stress disorder, one of the things that we know is we can actually measure levels of something called DHEA. DHEA is a circulating compound in our bodies that we can actually measure and look at over time. And it's important to know that when we can measure these in different individuals suffering from PTSD, we can actually look at this over time. And what happens is that we see an increase in DHEA, and that can be occurring not only in episodes of acute stress, but also long-term stress. The big word that DHEA stands for is dehydroepiandrosterone. That's a mouthful. Dehydroepiandrosterone, or DHEA. It's actually a precursor for anabolic steroids in our bodies that are released from the adrenal cortex with cortisol in response to stress. So we can actually measure the compound DHEA, and we can also measure the relationship between DHEA and cortisol in our bodies. And we look at that ratio, and what we found is that can change under certain disease states like PTSD. So when we're talking about measuring stress, we can actually look at many different things. So let me review briefly. We know we can measure cortisol. That can be done in blood samples. That can be done in salivary samples or saliva. It can be done in hair. The most common ways to measure it are in blood. The measurement in hair is a little more difficult and more tricky to do in the laboratory. And the other way is measuring it in saliva. That's an easy way to do it as well. But also it's subject to change over time in the, in the day. And the hour that's collected is very important. So consistent collection at the same time and measurement at the same time of day is very important if we're measuring it on repeated uh, basis or over the course of time. The other thing I want to mention is that when we talk about stress and we talk about the impact of stress in our bodies, there is something that I think you need to know about that is a relatively recent topic of research over the past several years, and that's something called the inflammasome. Uh, let me spell that for you. I-N-F-L-A-M-M-A-S-O-M-E. Inflammasome. The inflammasomes are multi-protein complexes, and we can measure their activity over the course of time, and it changes when we're under different types of stress and uh, also when we experience inflammation. So one of the things to know about is that the inflammasome is a protein. It's a group of proteins, and we can actually measure this. One is the NL. RP3 inflammasome activator. And when we measure this over time, one of the things that we know is that it can actually impact the release of 
other pro-inflammatory cytokines. And this is very important because when we talk about measuring stress, we want to be able to measure it at different levels and over time. And one good example of a disease where stress is so important is in kidney disease, chronic kidney disease. And one of the things that we know is that when we have an individual with kidney disease and that progresses to what we call end-stage renal disease or ESRD, we can actually measure levels of inflammation in those people. And one of the things that we know is that progressively over time, individuals who experience end-stage kidney disease or diabetes and then kidney disease can also experience inflammation. And so one of the things that I wanted to mention to you is if you know anyone with diabetes or anyone who may be at risk for diabetes, we can actually look at their blood levels of different biomarkers and try to determine the level of inflammation they're, they're experiencing and how well they're controlling the diabetes. So you probably have heard of one key biomarker that we look at in diabetes, and that's something called hemoglobin A1c. When we measure hemoglobin A1c, it gives us a long-term picture of what is happening with diabetes in an individual. If they have good blood sugar control, the hemoglobin A1c will be lower. If the blood sugar is not under control, then that's an indicator of not only inflammation and stress, but also an indicator that the diabetes is not well controlled. So in essence, when we measure hemoglobin A1c, it's an indirect indicator of levels of inflammation and stress in our bodies. So if we have better control of diabetes, the blood sugar will be lower, stress will be lower in our bodies at the microscopic or biochemical level. That will also reduce inflammation. That means that we have lower hemoglobin A1c, and it means that the impact on our organs is reduced. So the whole goal of diabetes control, for example, is to reduce stress, reduce inflammation, and reduce the impact on our organs. One of the best examples of why we need to control our blood sugar in diabetes is that it can actually reduce the impact on what we call end organs. So a good example of that is diabetic retinopathy. So we know when we have ongoing inflammation, ongoing stress with blood sugar that's out of control, we know that we can actually lead to changes in our vision. That's because it's affecting our eyes directly. And that ongoing process of inflammation and stress for our eyes can be actually reduced if we can reduce our blood sugar and get our blood sugar under control, either through diet, with exercise, changes in our the way that we're uh, managing our sugars with insulin, if we're taking insulin, or taking an oral drug to reduce our blood sugar. Very, very important when we think about the whole process of stress, inflammation, and the impact on our organs. You know, we can also measure changes in stress and the impact on our organs by looking at different conditions such as liver disease. So there are measures in our body that we can actually look at. One is lactate dehydrogenase, and there's several other markers I won't have a, a chance to go into today that actually tell us what's happening in our bodies with stress. Going forward, 
over time as we talk about different disease states and prevention of disease, we're going to talk about what we can measure in our bodies. There are very easy things that we can measure in our bodies that I think you may have heard about before. So I mentioned the C-reactive protein. There's serum amyloid that we can measure. We can measure other factors related to blood. So fibrinogen, plasminogen activator inhibitor, these are a little less commonly measured, but they're there as well. And another one that's a common acute phase reactant you may have heard of is ferritin. These all can be measured as indicators of inflammation. And really what we want to do is identify ones that we can easily measure and easily count so we can actually measure them on a repeated basis over time. One of the things that I mentioned before is easy indicators of stress that we can measure in our own lives. And one of the best ways that I can tell you to reduce stress in our bodies and inflammation is to work toward adopting more healthy behaviors. So these include things like reducing the amount of alcohol that we take in. Reducing or quitting cigarette smoking is a great thing to do if we want to reduce stress and reduce inflammation. It's interesting because when you think about smoking and alcohol consumption, these are two behaviors that people often adopt because they're under stress. And in fact, what happens is that when we are drinking and when we're smoking, that actually increases the stress in our bodies. It increases or stimulates inflammation and these inflammatory biomarkers that I mentioned so it has just the opposite effect on our bodies, even though we think at the time it may actually help us coping with stress. You can also measure very simple things like the number of hours that you're sleeping. One of the things that we know is that when we are under stress, we may be not sleeping as well, but we also know that the less we sleep, the more stress our body is put under. So a lack of sleep can actually lead to stress in our bodies that we may not actually see or feel immediately. And that can actually indirectly lead to inflammation in our bodies. So sleeping is a key activity to make sure that we lower the levels of stress and inflammation in our bodies as much as possible. Another way that we can measure stress in our lives is actually look at what we're eating and when we are eating. One of the things that we know is that when we don't eat breakfast or when we don't eat a proper meal in the morning, we'll talk about what that means exactly, what kinds of foods that means. We actually know that we can actually increase stress when we are not consuming food in the morning. And part of the reason is that we start to go into a bit of a starvation mode. Our body's response to that is to bump up or increase levels of cortisol and other stress hormones. And so indirectly, when we're not taking a few minutes to eat, we actually put our bodies under stress, even though we don't feel it. And that's the amazing part about stress, is that we can actually experience it and have low-level stress, leading to low-level chronic inflammation, even though we may not feel it. And that's one of the tricky things about stress. It's almost a secret about stress that when we have low levels of stress going on over time, we start to experience that and the cumulative effect adds up over time. The other thing I wanted to mention is that in our work lives, and probably one of the most important things that we can do and think about in stress is what we are doing at work every day. When we experience stress at work, we know that this can have a direct impact on our health. In fact, 
lost time from work due to stress is one of the biggest cost items affecting the cost of health care. So what that means is that when we have stress at work, we may miss work, we may get sick as a result. This can lead to not only lost wages on our part, so we lose money, and it can also mean that we have to go to the doctor, go get treated, and we're off work and we lose productivity as well. So business really suffers when we are stressed. And you add that up over millions of people around the world, you can easily imagine that the impact of stress is very, very costly. So one of the messages for today, for you and for employers and people who are and working with anyone in any kind of workplace is that we really need to find ways to lower our stress level and also measure it over time. So if people are stressed and we implement changes to reduce stress, we can measure that over time. Even an indicator such as how well people are sleeping can be a simple way to measure levels of stress that people are under. Now, we also want to talk a little bit here today about what we can do to reduce the stress. And there's a couple easy things to think about. And I say easy because once we get in the habit of doing it, then we actually can find that it's going to be something we do every day. And that is exercise. I know it's very, very difficult for many people to find time to exercise. But when we think about reducing stress, we don't need to exercise a lot. And what I mean by that is we can actually do a few minutes every day or over the course of a week, say three to four times a week, and that doesn't have to be a long time period every day. It could be even 20 minutes of an activity to lower our stress. It could be an aerobic activity like using the elliptical machine or using a treadmill or swimming is a great activity. Or we can also do other things like yoga or Pilates or even meditation can be a great way to reduce stress. These activities for many of us are new. And for myself, I started exercising in 2015 on a very regular basis and going to the gym took a lot of initial changes in my life to actually do that. So going to bed earlier, waking up earlier so I could get to the gym before I get to the workplace and then actually doing a few minutes every day at the gym before I get to work and that can actually change your life dramatically. You're going to reduce stress you're going to reduce that inflammation that we know is going on in your body. And over the long term, this is going to improve not only your mental outlook, but it's going to improve the way that your body responds to stress. And it'll improve things like your memory, your immune system performance, so you'll be better protected against illness and disease. And it will improve your relationships without a doubt. So today, one of the things I want you to think about is how we can measure stress how we can work together to look at stress biomarkers over time. There's lots of ways we can do that. And we want to think about if we do measure our baseline stress levels, then what can we do over time to reduce the impact of stress on our bodies and reduce that inflammation on our bodies that we know is causing things like infections, causing things like cardiovascular disease, worsening diabetes, and even causing causing cancer. Very important when we think about chronic disease prevention is to reduce stress, 
reduce the inflammation that affects these diseases and find ways to measure that over time. So, as always, you can find me on the internet at quantitative-health.com, email to me at quant at quantitative-health.com, or call me. You can call me anytime, and you'll find my phone number on the website, and it's a toll-free number. You can call me 24-7. It's 1-888-406-0008. Again, phone number 1-888-406-0008. Go to my website as well and send me an email there. Sign up to our list. Drop your name and your email and let me know any problems that you'd like to work on, and then we'll get going on these because our mission here at Quantitative Health is to find ways for you to improve your health, and central to all this is reducing stress, reducing that inflammation, getting that down to the point where not only are you happy and healthy, but you're going to live a long life and be around to help your family and support them in everything that they do. That's our mission here at Quantitative Health. Let's go do it. Thank you very much. Thank you.